Well, welcome to our second week of Advent, this wonderful, joyous time of the year when we are looking forward with anticipation to the celebration of Christ's birth. If you missed last week, we started off looking at the hope candle and talking about the hope that we have in Christ. And as we heard earlier in the service when Hutchinson's lit the candle this week, it is the love candle. And so we are talking about the love that we experience this Advent season, the love that we see personified in Christ Jesus. And I want to start by just reading you the lyrics of a well-known Christian hymn called Love Came Down at Christmas. It says, Love came down at Christmas. Love all lovely, love divine. Love was born at Christmas. Stars and angels gave the sign. Worship we the Godhead, love incarnate, love divine. Worship we our Jesus, but where within for sacred sign? Love shall be our token, love be yours, and love be mine. Love to God and all men, love for plea and gift and sign. Love came down at Christmas. In the second week of Advent, we turn our focus to how at Christmas we celebrate God's love for us in Christ Jesus. One of the most famous verses in all of Scripture, John 3.16, tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, in the person of Jesus Christ, we see a tangible witness to God's love for His creation. That God loved us so much that He sent His Son Jesus down to earth. And this is the foundational truth to Christianity to what we gather to celebrate each and every Sunday. And this Christmas season, it is one of the truths that we see expressed this Advent time. That God loves you. That God sent His only Son for you. And we celebrate that this Christmas season. So to shed some light on the uniqueness of this love that has shown to each one of us this Advent, I want to take a look at the first letter of John this morning. This letter that was written to encourage a group of churches. And my hope and prayer is that these words would be an encouragement to us this morning as well. So if you would turn with me to 1 John chapter 3, you can follow along in the Pew Bibles or on the screen we'll have the text as well, or if you brought your own Bible. We're going to be spending our time in 1 John chapter 3 and 4, looking at three different sections of text and how it relates to this idea of Christ being love and experiencing it this Advent season. So starting in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, this is what John writes. He said, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know That when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. What beautiful words that John writes here in this letter to encourage the churches and to encourage us. And these verses come right after a section in which John is encouraging the church to abide in Christ. And it's got this purpose for us of preparing ourselves for when Christ comes. John wants them to have a confidence that Christ is coming, to prepare themselves for the fact that Christ will return, and to be intentional in their preparations. 
to not have a shame around who they are or around their sinful ways that they previously walked in, but to have a confidence in the love of Christ and in their faith. And so John uses this word see right at the beginning of verse 1, which the Greek word here is a better translated as behold, I believe, which is an exclamation of wonder and amazement. So John wants to draw their eyes to the wonder and amazement of who Christ is and what the Father did for his children. And this love that the Father has given to us, the desire is that it would lead to a posture of worship. A posture of worship towards God, towards Jesus Christ the Son, towards the Holy Spirit, towards the Trinitarian Godhead, that we would experience the love of God in such a rich way that our only response would be to worship Him. John lets the readers know right there, though, in verse, in verse 1, that part of the reason that the world doesn't know them is because the world doesn't know Christ. He wants them to understand that when they feel ostracized, when they feel like outsiders, when they feel like they don't fit, that part of that is because the world does not know Christ. But he wants them to know who they are, that even when they feel this way, that they can find their confidence knowing that they are children of God. He starts off verse 2 and says, Beloved, we are God's children now. He wants them to cement their identity of who they are, knowing that they've experienced the love of God, that that then moves them to be God's children. And so John lets them know this here in verse 2, explaining to them that it's not because of anything they did. It's not because they were so magnificent. And the same is true for us. It's not because of anything we specifically do that we are God's children, but it's because of the love that the Father has given to us. It's because of His grace poured out upon us and the invitation to experience that gift of free grace that when we do that, when we come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that we become His children. What a gift we see expressed here by John. Well, John in verse 2 also returns to the idea of Christ's return. Letting them know that even though Christ has not yet appeared, that he will. That they will be purified once again once Christ returns. But in the meantime, they are to continue to seek to live righteously. And that's part of what we celebrate this Advent season. It's not just Christ's birth, but it's also looking forward to when Christ will return again. We see throughout Scripture the promise of Christ's second coming. The promise that Christ will return to gather the believers together and to bring us to eternal glory in heaven with him. And so we can read the passages like this, and we can find hope, that hope that we celebrate this Advent season, knowing that Christ will come again. And our hope, we see, is in Christ alone. We don't find our hope in ourselves or in our own abilities. We don't find our hope in society or in our finances, but our hope is found in Christ alone. And John knows this. John has lived a life that's included joys and difficulties and hardships and trials. He knows that hope is only found in Christ alone. And so he instructs his hearers, and we too can read and follow along, that we should know that our hope is in him who purifies himself as he is pure. And John is talking about Jesus there, that our hope is in Christ Jesus in one of the commentaries I was reading on this section, it stated that anyone who sets his heart on future purification will pursue a present purification. 
I thought that was so interesting that the idea that if we're pursuing and hoping for a future purification, that the Lord will do that complete work in us as he makes us holy like he is holy, that we would be seeking that in the meantime as well, that we wouldn't just be putting it off as, well, someday that'll occur. I can live in my sin now because someday Christ will purify me. But that if we are hopeful for that purification, if we are anticipating that and looking forward to that, it should cause us in the meantime to seek to live as those who are seeking to be pure, to seek to live as those who are striving after the way of Christ. Our lives here on earth as Christians cannot be lived out with our focus only on the present, but we must look forward to the hope of Christ's return, to our complete sanctification. And those who do not pursue holiness show that they do not fully know God, for they neither reflect his character nor live in light of his return. John is getting at this fact that if we know Christ, if we pursue him, it will have an impact upon how we live as we experience his love. Well, in chapter 3, John continues in verse 16 and says this in 16 through 18. He says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. John returns here to an exhortation to love. And this love comes from Christ's example for us. It comes from seeing Jesus' action of love as Jesus came down, God incarnate, as he lived a sacrificial life, as he was humble and selfless in character and deed. Jesus showed us a personification of love lived out while he walked the earth and when he died and rose again. And so John calls us to look to Christ, to the one who laid down his life, to see how we too are to emulate this with our lives as well. As we receive Christ's love and as we seek to live out that love, there is an aspect of laying ourselves down to love how Christ loved. John lays out in verse 17 what this looks like practically for us as we seek to follow in Jesus' footsteps and how it means even the meeting of basic needs of others. How that example is given. And John is talking about a situation that's clear here where one believer has a financial uh, means to help and finds another believer in need. And so John calls them to help one another out. He talks about that in verse 17. If you see a brother in need, that we are to help them out. And John's use of the term brother here shows that what he's talking about is those within the church. That he's talking about the collective church living together, that they are to love one another, to support one another, to care for one another, to be those who the world will see love in a unique manner because we love as Christ loved sacrificially for one another. If you want to see the world changed, if you want to see the church head that change up, the church needs to become a place where this type of love is practiced, where a sacrificial love amongst those who make up the church is put into practice on a regular basis. And that will cause those who are outside the church to look upon those of us who follow Christ, who profess faith in Jesus Christ, who call ourselves Christians. They'll look upon us and say something is different because the church loves in a way that is unlike anyone else. 
And so John is calling the church to love in this way, to love selflessly. It makes me think of Acts chapter 2 when it talks about the believers bringing their belongings together and sharing with those who are in need, that those who had more were able to bless those who had less, and that it was a collective living together, pursuing after Christ together. And while it may not look just like that today, it still can be accomplished as we seek to not live close-fisted around what we have, but seek to be generous and care for those in our midst, to seek to show God's kindness and grace to those among us. And that when there's needs within the church, that we seek to care for those needs and care for one another. John, in verse 17, switches up the grammar a little bit here and moves from the plural, which is more of a general statement that he's talking about, to a specific. When he says, But anyone who has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? You see, John's getting at the heart of how we're practicing the love of Christ, how we're living out that love of Christ as individuals within the greater body of the church. And John continues with an exhortation in verse 18 as he calls for us to love not in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And I love this exhortation here that John gives us. Not to simply say that we're loving, not to just say that we are welcoming or that we're kind or that we're generous. That's easy to do. It's easy to use our words and and say all these things, but John is saying to take it a step further, to be those who practice these qualities and characteristics, to be those who actually live this out in deed and in truth. And when we think about this Advent season, when we think about Christ coming, we see a real, authentic love, a love that changes lives, that doesn't just come and talk about what it would be to be loving, That Christ didn't just come and talk about sacrificial love. That would not have the weight that Christ's love had for us if he didn't actually follow through with words, with the deeds that he did when he sacrificed his life for us. You see, the love that we experience from Christ, the love that we celebrate this Advent season that God showed us in sending Jesus down to earth should move us beyond just words, should move us to act for the good of the one whom we love, that in our actions we would glorify God as we seek to love one another. John is encouraging us in the same concept we see in James, the idea that a love without works is dead. That love is not just talk, but it's deed as well. Christ modeled this for us, and we too must follow suit in our lives to how Christ lived, seeking to love others, to lay down our lives for one another. And that's the idea that John is exhorting to those churches here as he writes this. Well, moving along, John's going to continue to provide a picture of love for us as we seek to figure out what love looks like this Advent season. So we're going to look at John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 21. And this is where John really gets into the meat of this idea of love, and it's a beautiful passage here. John says, Beloved, Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, that we might live through Him. And in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us, 
and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, and if we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and that He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He is God, and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. John really drills down here the idea of love and what love looks like and what love was shown to us through Christ Jesus. He transitions here in verse 7 to focus on how we treat one another, how as followers of Christ, that how we treat one another, our actions towards one another, must be loving as Christ is loving towards us. And he gives us two reasons right here in the passage as to why we should love one another. The first is that love originates from God. Thus, as his followers, as those who follow God and profess to follow in the ways of Christ, we too should be known for being those who love. That it should be a marker upon us that people should look at us and say, we are loving people. That that would reflect the love that we have experienced from Christ Jesus. And then second, our love as followers of Christ is evidence of our being born of God and knowing God. See, that's the outpouring of what's happened internally as we come to know Christ, as our lives are transformed, as we experience the wealth of love from Jesus Christ that then it would do a work in us where there's an outpouring of love from us toward others, that we are men and women who would be described as loving. This love that we see from Christ Jesus is a beautiful picture of God's love for us. And so we want to emulate that in how we live here. And what John is getting at here is that this self-sacrificial love that Christ showed us that is specifically directed by Christians towards other Christians. Not that we can't love those outside the church, but John is writing a letter to the churches on how the churches are to be treating one another. That the church should be known as the most loving place in the world. And yet, sadly, at times, we fail in this. Sadly, at times, we fall short of this. We let our personal differences or our preferences get in the way of loving each other well. And yet John is clear here that as followers of Christ, we are to seek to be loving toward one another. In verses 8 and 9, John is talking about how he says, If anyone does not love, does not know God, because God is love. I love how pure that verse is, this idea that God is love. 
John gives us the deep importance of this and lets us know that if we do not have that love, that we are not of God, that we do not know God. Think of the implications of this with me. That if we don't love like Christ, we don't fully know God. It's kind of scary when you think about it. When you think about if you're truly one who is living out love toward others, how does that reflect your relationship with God? How does that reflect whether you are experiencing God's love? Perhaps if you aren't feeling that loving, then you need to return to the Word and spend more time in the presence of God. Experience His love first so that you may love others as He has loved you. Now, we all make mistakes. We all fall short, and that's why we need to repent at times. But this should be our aim and our practice, that we would be showing Christ's love to one another. You may be wondering what this love really looks like. This love that we're celebrating this Advent season. Well, we see a picture of it from John in verse 9. He says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. You see, that is the picture of love that we celebrate this Advent season. That is the ultimate love, is God sending His Son down to earth. The babe in the manger that we celebrate every December. This is the full picture of God's love poured out for us. That he sent his only son not just to make a point, but to pave the way for us to experience true life in Jesus. To experience deep, authentic, life-changing love that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And John tells us that the picture of love moves into Christ being the propitiation for our sins. The idea that Christ takes our sins upon him when he goes to the cross, when he dies upon the cross, that he takes the weight of our sins upon him so that we may experience freedom from our sins, so that we may experience grace of Jesus Christ poured out upon us. And the result of this love we experience, John tells us, should be an outpouring of love toward others. This type of sacrificial, selfless love that we want to be defined with is what John calls us to strive for. If we follow God's guidance and example, the result is that even though people may not know God, they will see God in us practicing this in the church. They will see the love of God abiding within us as Christians and as the church. God is already pristine in his love. We see the fullness of his love in Christ come down, but when we reach out to one another and love each other well, that gives a picture of Christ to the world. John moves forward in verse 13 and 16 to give us three examples of evidence that one has come to faith. He tells us that having received the Spirit that our love for fellow believers is evidence of the Spirit's work within us. He tells us that confessing that Jesus is the Son of God, not just to state it, but to own this concept as a truth in our lives, to live it out in our lives, and to practice a submission to Christ as our Lord and Savior. And lastly, the idea of abiding in love, of remaining in love. And I love when John talks about abiding in love, that he also elsewhere in Scripture talks about the idea of a branch with a tree, that you remain hooked into the tree, that we, to abide in Christ, must remain hooked into Christ. And that's part of what this is today. That's part of the gathering of the local body, is it's a way that we seek to abide in Christ together as we pursue Him as a church. 
John wraps up in 17 through 21, elaborating here on what love is, on how it's manifested itself in the life of a believer as we pursue after Christ, and how that love then can lead us to have a confidence on the day of judgment because Christ's love is perfected in us. And that's part of that hopeful anticipation that we look forward to as we look forward to Christ's second coming, that we don't have to look forward to Christ with uh, worry or concern if we profess faith in Him, but that we can look forward to that time with a confidence because of the work that Christ has accomplished, because of the love that we have received from Him, because His love will be perfected in us as He took our, his, our sin upon Him and cleanses us. So this moves us to be believers who love as he loves us and allow others to see Christ moving in us. The joy of that this Advent season as we seek to put it into practice, as we seek to love one another well. I saw glimpses of it yesterday here at the parade as people in our church were loving others around them, were sharing with people, were speaking kind words to one another, were sacrificially giving to others of their time and of their material possessions like cookies and hot chocolate that people sacrifice to give so that others would experience the love. What a beautiful thing that is when the church puts that into practice. Well, if we know that we are loved by God, by Christ, by the Holy Spirit, what does that mean for our daily lives as we seek to live it out this Advent season? Well, I believe that there's three things that if we know that we are loved, it should lead us to live in this manner. And the first thing, the most important thing, is that when we know we are loved by Christ, it should lead us to worship. You see, before all else, the love we experience, the knowledge that we are loved, should lead us to worship God. Psalm 63, verses 3 through 4 states, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. I was reading this week about John Sebastian Bach, who most people know of and have heard of, but this was something I had never heard about him. He said that all music should have no other end and aim than the glory of God and the soul's refreshment. Where this is not remembered, there is no real music, but only a devilish hubbub. On the top of all of his compositions, it would, John, Bach would put a J.J., and the initial stood for Jesus Yuva, which means Jesus help me. So at the beginning of all his compositions, he would write, Jesus help me. And he ended all of them with an SDG, which stood for Soli De Gratia, which means to God alone be the glory. And I was thinking about this and this attitude of worship that he had when he would write his music and how we too must have a similar attitude in our lives. Recognizing that our lives' primary aim and response to God should be that of worship for God's glory alone. And what does it mean to worship? Well, it's the idea of bowing down. It's a posture that we have in our lives. Yes, it is the joining together and singing, using our voices to praise God. But as we do that, what we're doing is we're bowing our lives before Him. We're saying, you are God and I am not. You are Lord in charge and I am not. And so we worship the Lord by submitting ourselves before Him. Our lives, our time, our abilities, our means, all that we have, we bow before the Lord and worship Him with. That's the first step of how we seek to live out 
the life of those who are loved by Christ well. The second is that as we know we are loved, we can have a confidence in Christ. During this week about Amy Carmichael, who is a well-known missionary who spent over 50 years of her life without returning home for a furlough, serving mainly the low-caste girls in India and boys. And she said that her ability to trust God began with her confidence in God's character. She believed that God is, first and always, a loving Father. She believed God was in control and everything He allowed into her life was ultimately for her good. And, all, and as, she tuckered her, sorry, as she tucked herself into God by trusting Him as a little child, she believed that He was able to carry her through all things. That confidence in the love of God in her life allowed her to then live out that love toward others, to care for those who were cast away by society, to care for those who were considered the least of that society and culture, and to bring hundreds and thousands of those little children into homes that cared for them, that gave them the love of Christ and showed them who Christ was. This all happened out of her confidence of the Lord's love for her. And so we too, like Amy Carmichael, need to place our confidence in God's character, to trust Him that He is in control, that He is wise, and that He cares deeply for each one of us, knowing that whatever circumstances we are in, He is aware of those, and He is with us in the midst. And we can find our confidence in Christ this Advent season, knowing that He loves us, and that this love can in turn move each one of us to love others well. So may you give some thought this week to where there are perhaps areas that the Lord may be calling you to live out the love of Christ to those around you. The last application, I believe, when we know the love of God, when we have experienced the love of God, is that I believe there should be a growing anticipation in each one of us to see Him again. For that moment when we, when we are brought to him, whether through death or through his second coming. Joni Erickson Tata, who had a terrible accident that left her a quadriplegic, in spite of her physical limitations, became an accomplished author and artist. And over 25 years ago, she married her husband, Ken. And she shared this about her wedding day. She said, for her wedding, she had planned to come down the center aisle in her motorized wheelchair. But just before her grand entrance, she noticed two distressing problems. First, she had rolled over her beautiful gown and made a big grease spot and a tear in it. And then the flowers in her lap had slipped and had lodged between her legs and the chair. She was filled with disappointment. And then suddenly, the doors to the auditorium opened, and she saw her husband-to-be. Here was the man who was committing his love and his life to her, Joni later said. She said, once I saw Ken's face, all I could think of was him. Everything else, the people in the church, the flowers that were sitting a little askew in my lap, the fact that my dress didn't fall right because I was sitting in a wheelchair, the grease marks or the rip in my gown, they all paled in comparison. And she said, when we see Christ, he will be all that matters to us. So like Joni, we too should live with an anticipation of Christ that changes everything, that excites us, that gives us some hope to look forward to that we will see Christ, that nothing else will matter when we stand before Christ. It won't matter the homes we lived in, the money we made, the professions we worked. 
all that will matter when we stand before Christ is Christ. And all that will really matter is if we have bowed our lives before him as our Lord and Savior. His loving grace poured out upon each one of us should stir in us an excitement and an anticipation to see him once again. We should live our lives to reflect this. How we spend our days, what we think about, what we dwell about, what we look forward to should be that day when we get to bow before Christ our King. That's part of what we look forward to in this Advent season is that moment when we will fully get to grasp the love of Christ as we stand in his presence, as we fully experience that work completed in our lives as we bow before him. And let me close today by reading how it is that God has loved us by Ray Van Nest in his commentary on 1 John. And this is what he says. He says, He loved first. He did not wait for us to make the first move. And ours must also be an initiating love. He loved those who hated him, and we cannot excuse ourselves from love because people are difficult. If the sinless God can love sinful people, then sinful people can surely love other sinful people. He loved those who were different than he. No human will ever be more different from us than we are from God. Our love must not be limited to those who are like us. And his love accomplished what was best for us even though it was not what we wanted at the time. His love continued, his love persevered, even though we were wrong and offended him. He loved at extreme cost, and his love found a concrete expression, not merely vague feelings, but real actions. So may we too be men and women whose love is not just mere words, but has concrete action in how we love one another and how we proclaim that love to those around us, and how we as a church are known for our love this Advent season.